Okay. Got me. Okay. Let me put this thing back in my pocket here before I lose it. Believe me, folks, Arkansas's got talent. You're not looking at it, but there's talent, I tell you. So. But, uh, that's some, some good folks from Hot Springs. My word. If I could sing like that, well, I can't, so there's no need to worry about it. But uh, what a what a miracle it is to be able to speak like that and sing like that. But, <clears throat> but as we move along here, brethren, this is the third day of the feast. And I've thought about it ever since Dale called me back in the spring and asked me to speak. I have sweated over that and worried about it and fretted about it. And I've come up with a probably half a dozen, six, maybe eight different ideas. And I didn't get this idea the day before yesterday. I had a sermon all picked out, all I was going to give. And I got up here and I looked at it and I said, my word, I've got enough scriptures for three sermons. And I needed all of them, so I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I prayed about it, asked God to help me and help me come up with something. And I think I came up with something you never hear much about at the Peace of Tabernacles. You know, we're all here to learn about the millennium, about the future, what the future holds for us, where we're going in the future. We're all, all of us hoping that we'll be spirit beings and we'll be in the millennium, that we'll be with Christ when He returns to this earth and brings all the saints with Him. We know that all the saints that are already passed on will be with Him. Everybody clear back to the time of David, King David, to uh, the Apostle Paul. All of them will be with Him. And all we have to hope for is that we'll be there also. We'll be with Him when the, when the time comes for the resurrection. Those that have already passed on, the saints that have died in the Lord, will be resurrected at that time and be with Him. All of those that's left alive, those that uh, hopefully some of us will be, will then be uh, allowed to rise and be with those saints that already passed on. But I dare say there's one thing that most of us, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but what is the one thing in a Christian life that is the hardest thing to do? You think about your own personal life, what is the hardest thing that there is to do to, to uh, make yourself closer to the Lord, ask the Lord to be closer to you? The one thing that we don't do, and Dale mentioned a little bit about it in the opening message there and when he gave the announcements, I dare say that most of us don't pray enough. We don't ask God to intervene in our lives enough because we're so busy. I know in my own personal life, that's the hardest thing for me to do is make time for myself to go get on my knees and ask God to intervene in my life. Now, if I asked for a show of hands, I'd say the biggest part of the hands would go up because it is hard. It's hard to make yourself focus enough to go and get on your knees and ask, ask the Lord to intervene for you with the Father. It is so hard to do. 
But I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Bible definition of prayer, what it does for us, and how we should uh, make it an integral part of our life so that we, uh, we, it, it becomes so old and so customary to us, it's the first thing we, we think about when we get up in the morning. So if you will, turn with me for the first scripture. Now, I've got a few scriptures today, so uh, I don't have very many jokes. I've run out of them. But uh, I do have to tell you one that uh, a fellow told me about my hair one time. He told me, he said, you know, when you think up here, you're a thinker. He said, when you, when you lose your hair back there, you're a lover. He said, you just thought you was one. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that fits me real good right there. So Dale and I have a common thing about the hair deal. But anyway, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For in verse 2 it says, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How do you submit to the righteousness of God? You've got to talk to Him. You've got to ask Him to intervene in your life. You've got to ask Him to come to you and help you through your trials, through your tribulations, whatever they may be that you're going through. And we all have tribulations. I had plenty of them this past year. I was in the hospital three different times. One time I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So you do have tribulations. You do have things. We have a lady in our church that has tribulations. She has problems with her neck. And I can tell you, neck problems are not good. I'm having a neck problem right now. I asked some people to pray for me before church started because of an accident I had one time. But we have to ask in prayer. In, in verse 4 it says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. And if you're a believer, then that should be your heart's desire to pray and ask Him to intervene in your life. Another desire is expressed in faith in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Matthew 21, verse 22. By the way, I have to comment on our little local church. We have a local church in Russellville. By the way, we own our own building, and uh, it's unusual to find a small group that does that, but we do own our own building. We have a place where we meet every Sabbath, and and I look around and I see just about everybody, including Elizabeth Anderson, which I didn't find out about her last night until we got back. But uh, all of our group nearly is here today. I don't see Shannon, but... Uh, oh, where's he at? Huh? Oh, he's back there. Okay. But uh, our whole group's here. And that's a real blessing to find us all here. In uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it says... And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. If you ask for them, brethren, don't be disappointed if it doesn't happen, but expect it. Expect it's going to happen. Now, sometimes things don't work out the way you want them. I lost my wife 10 years ago to cancer, colon cancer. It had already spread to her liver and spread to her, her lymph nodes. And she and I more than once, several times, I don't even know how many times, I was on my knees by our bed 
and she was laying in the bed, and we were both praying that God would intervene. Well, sometimes God intervenes in different ways. In her case, He intervened by giving her peace, by allowing her to go on, because she was eat completely up with cancer. She was stage four before we realized she had it. So he, he intervened in her case and let her have peace, and now she's waiting a resurrection. And I feel with all my heart that my, my wife will be in the first resurrection. I just hope that uh, when she goes up, that I'll be able to recognize her, and I hope that when she's going up, she's not looking down watching me sitting on the ground waiting to go up. So, you know, that's one thing I have to think about a lot because I've got big feet. And I, I can I can tiptoe for a long time, but I can't stand on them too long. So I'm hoping God will just say, "Come on up, Gary. You're not worth it, but take you anyway." You know. So, but that's where I'm at. I'm uh, you know in my life. But my wife, I feel like has it made. I feel like my next wife that I received. I think she's going to have it made because I've never been around a woman more more righteous and not righteous in her own eyes I'm talking about righteous than the wife I've got now she keeps me on the straight and narrow all the time especially about praying but Matthew chapter 21 verse 22 we'll read it again it says and whatever things you ask in prayer believing you will receive because you will if you do it in the right attitude in the right frame of mind and you let God work with you and let God direct your steps let God be your, be your light, be your footsteps. I always think about that one parable or that one story where that uh, Christ and this individual was walking on the beach, and all of a sudden there was two two lines of footsteps, and all of a sudden there was only one line of footsteps. And when they were got got going where they were going, this person turned and looked. And Christ was standing there, and he said, uh, Christ, why did you leave me? He said, I didn't leave you. He said, what do you mean? There's only one set of footsteps. He said, that's when I was picking you up and carrying you. So we have to think about that. Realize that Christ is our intercessor. He goes to the Father for us. He guides us. He directs us. Remember, he is your elder brother, and he wants us to pray, brethren. In, in James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. If I could get someone in about an hour and a half, two hours, stand up and tell me when I'm done, let me know, will you? So, but I get pretty long-winded. James chapter 1, verse 6. It said, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So if you pray and you you don't have any faith in your prayer, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to float around the room. And when you get through, it'll, it'll go right back on you. For in verse 7 it says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So if you're double-minded, as we see in double eight, you're, you're unstable in all of your ways. You don't need to be double-minded, brethren. You need When you pray, you need to go to the Lord and ask, please, I'm here. Please hear my prayer. Please give me an audience. 
Give me an audience. Ask for that audience, and he will give it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 is another desire and prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. And these small books always give me trouble trying to find them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Talks about, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You ever lift your hands up when you're praying? You ever look up in the air when you're praying? We should. We should. We shouldn't be like the old worldwide days, and I don't like to even mention them because I was in there so long, where you were even afraid to even say amen. Amen in services. You should be willing to, if someone says something from the pulpit up here that you agree with, you shouldn't be afraid to say amen or praise God. You know, God is watching us. Christ is watching us. We should show Him that we're thankful for what, we have, what, we, what we've learned, what we've been called to. Don't be afraid to say amen if you agree with something. There's no deacon going to come and get you and care, escort you out if you do that. Stand up for what you believe. Stand up for what you believe. That's what we should be doing, brethren. We should give our heart to the Lord like we've all heard for so many times. But we ought to show that we're thankful for what we have. Be thankful. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. By the way, do I hear amen? Amen. All right. All right. Get involved. You know, you're here. It's not my show. This is not my show up here. I'm just a spokesman, that's all. You're the show. You're showing God right now. You're showing Christ right now that you believe His Word and you're willing to be a part of it and you want it to be a part of your life. And when you pray, you're doing that. You're showing God. You're showing Christ that yes, thank you, Savior. Thank you, Father. Thank you, my brother, for allowing me to know you. And you know you learn them. You know them through prayer. When you're praying... You're asking them to hear your voice. And they'll show you their voice. You may not hear it in a loud, booming voice, but there'll be ways that you will hear their voice. So you have to put your heart into it. Be thankful. Be thankful for your calling. Chapter 8, verse 28. It said, And we know that all things work together for good. Is that not true? Is that not true that everything we do works good if we're in the right frame of mind and we're allowing God to work with us, that he's, we're allowing Him to be a part of our lives? To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. When you look in the mirror, do you think, I'm called out of this world. I'm called out of this world. God called me out of all the people in my neighborhood, which, you know, like me, where I grew up, our population sign was back to back, you know, with so few of us. But my dad, my mother, they were called out of our little community, maybe 60, 70 people. They were the only ones in that little community that God decided to call. 
the only ones. And then my, my sisters and I were raised in the truth. None of us ever tasted that first fruit that, you know, so many, a first love that so many have talked about because we were raised in it. That's all I knew from the time I was eight years old on is keeping the Sabbath day and the holy days. But because I didn't taste that first love doesn't mean that God isn't happy that offspring from those that are called first hold on to the faith. But even us, we're offspring. We still have to pray. We still have to give God thanks for the calling that we have. The calling that we have. We're all according to His purpose. We've all been called out to be a part of His purpose. Another thing, we also should desire to express ourselves in the name of the Lord, name of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. We should do this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Spoken of throughout the whole world. This is Paul visiting some of the brethren. We should pray for one another. Pray, pray and be thankful that we have one another. We could be sitting in this room all alone. We could be the only people in this whole area that God called. We could be the only people in our little local area where we're all alone. There is nobody else. But God didn't see fit for that. He saw a chance to bring brethren together, to serve Him together. And we can do that, brethren, if we'll always remember that He's first. No matter what happens, He is first in all things. And we have to allow ourselves to put Him first. And we do that by what time we spend on our knees. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Giving thanks to the Father through Him. We should all do that when we pray. Pray that we our word is being heard. And if we're going through Christ to the Father, we're being heard. We may not always be answered because there may be some things that we are asking for that God doesn't think we need. You know, I'd like to have a new Cadillac. He probably doesn't think I need one. But I can pray for it, you know. Or I might think I'd like to have me a brand new... Well, I won't even go into that, but... Uh, i like to have me a new Weatherby 264 bold action to take to Colorado with me when I go every year. But I'll just have to wait and I'll use that old broken down Remington I've got. So, But it usually shoots pretty good. But over in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, there are things that we pray for that we probably don't need and that's probably one of them. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, it says... In this manner, therefore, pray. In this manner, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We can go on and read the rest of that, but that's what we do, brethren. We ask our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't always do that like I should because I forget. I forget. A lot of times when we pray, we what we have on our mind is the things we want done for us right now. We don't think about, you know, maybe I ought to give honor to God before I start asking for what I want. But a lot of times we do that. We forget. And we start right off. Lord, I need such and such. Lord, my blood count is really low. I need you to help me with that. Instead of saying, Lord, hallowed be thy name. I just go right into what I'm wanting. And a lot of times it never gets answered because I don't answer, ask in the right way. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, verse 24 it says, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of spirit being, I'm sorry, to the blood of sparkling, sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That of Abel. Am I reading the right? Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Yep. In other words, hear the heavenly voice. Hear the heavenly voice. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the Lamb of God. He is who we go through to get to the Father. We don't necessarily pray to Jesus. We pray through Jesus. We go to Him because He's our elder brother. He's our Savior. And we go through Him to the Father. And another thing we always want to think about is the desire we have should be expressed according to His will. According to His will. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Okay, we'll start reading over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. He does hear us. If we ask with boldness and confidence. Confidence. You think about your life. Uh, I don't know how many of you have employed people. But I've employed quite a few people over the years in my life. I could always tell if a person was sincere or if a person really wanted to work for me or if he was just doing his time to get paid so he could go on down the road to the next day. Or was he really interested in what we were doing so that he could make my business even better? Well, that's the way Christ looks at us. Are we sincere when we get on our knees? Or are we just going through the motions? Well, I, you know, I guess I need to go pray. I haven't prayed in a couple days or three days or four or whatever it is. I probably need to go get on my knees. Or do you go get on your knees with sincere, with a sincere attitude? An attitude that, please, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please, Lord, 
Show me your light. Please, Lord, open my eyes so that I can learn more of you and your way. Or do we just go through the motions? Oh, well, this is what I got to do. Hallowed be thy name. There's many ways that we can pray. The right way, brethren, is with a sincere heart. A heart that is open, a heart that Christ can look into and see, yes, this is my servant. This is my younger brother. This is my younger sister. He needs help. He's sincere in his prayer. He's opening his heart up to me. You have someone in your family really, really horribly sick. Let me tell you a story. When I was about nine years old, remember the old Asian flu? Most of you probably, the older people probably remember it. Anyway, my dad had become a Sabbatarian. And he, of course, at that time, the only contact we had with the Sabbatarian church was Ambassador California, I mean, Ambassador California, Pasadena, California, Herbert Armstrong. There was no church, no church at all. The only, only way you had contact with any help at all was to sit down and write a letter. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have a telephone. We was, we was probably 30 minutes from any town around the area by telephone. We had to go that far to use one. So my dad sat down. I had a fever of 106 degrees. I had the Asian flu. It was a horrible thing, and they thought I was going to die. My mother said, Dad, uh, Dad let's take him to the hospital. He said, No. No, we're not going to the hospital. We're asking God to heal this boy. He sat down and wrote a letter to Herbert Armstrong asking for a prayer, a prayer, a prayer, a prayer cloth. Because he knew that Herbert couldn't heal me. But he thought Herbert could pray over it and maybe Christ would heal me. We had to drive almost 20 miles to even be able to mail it. And he got in the car. We had an old car. The old car, you know, it, it ran sometimes. Sometimes it didn't. He left our house late in the afternoon. Post offices were already closed. And drove to our little local city about 20 miles away. And mailed a letter to Herbert Armstrong asking for a prayer request. The letter didn't go out to the next morning. When he got back home, I was sitting up in bed and my mother was feeding me soup and my fever was completely gone. Yeah. Now, Herbert Armstrong didn't heal me. It was the faith that my dad had at that time. The faith in Christ, the faith in God, that I would be healed. You see, my dad at that time didn't believe in going to any doctor. He thought, if we can't be healed, then we'll just die. And I was on the verge. Another night, I'd have been gone. 106 degree fever. Not very many people survive 106 degree fever. In two hours, when, by the time he left to go to town, dirt roads, but we were poor. I mean, we 
we were we were poor folks. Had to drive all the way into town to mail that letter. And when I got back, I was already sitting up in bed eating soup, fever completely gone. You don't believe in healing. You don't believe in prayer. Let me tell you another little story. My granddaughter, she's 22 years old now. When she was six years old, she was diagnosed with a six-degree curvature in her neck. Her dad has scoliosis so bad that most of the time he can't, can't even hardly sleep because it's so bad. She inherited scoliosis from him, and at, at six years old, it had already started in on her. Ray Wooten, I don't know how many of you know Ray, but he's a real good friend of mine, or was. He's passed on now. He was in the area. He was coming through from Oklahoma, and I got a hold of him. And somewhere or other, I don't remember how he did it, but he went and anointed my granddaughter. Well, we had to go to Little Rock the next three or four days after that to a doctor to have her fitted for a steel brace that she was going to have to start wearing all the way through her teenage years. A six-degree curvature in your spine is pretty severe. He anointed her for that. So we went to the hospital. We met up there, and the doctors, we had an appointment with them, and we came out. They came and got my granddaughter, took her back, sized her up for the, for the brace, came back out with her and said, yes, she has a six-degree curvature in her spine. We're going to have to put the brace on her. In about 30 minutes, the doctor came out and got her and took her back. He was gone probably 30 minutes, and he came back out. He looked at all of us. And he said these words, I don't know what's going on here, but take this girl home. There's nothing wrong with her. Her spine is as straight as it's supposed to be. Completely healed. Ray Wooten didn't do that. He was the tool that God used. God healed that little girl. And now she's 22 years old graduated from college, working on her master's program. And if you're ever in a pasta grill at Russellville, she'd love to have a tip from you. So if you go, <laughs> you're down there, tell her I, tell her I sent you. <laughs> that way I won't have to give her so much. Because every time I go in there, I went in there one day, there was a group of us. I left, when we got through eating, of course I, I picked up the tab and I left, a, I think, a small tip on the table and she walked over and looked at that and she looked at she said Papa uh-uh uh-uh so I had to dig a little deeper so anyway getting back to the sermon here there's a couple side notes I got on to eat up a little time but uh, no that actually happened it happened to me it happened to my granddaughter and I've saw many more healings so I want to hear amen God heals He's probably, you've probably got stories you can tell me about the very same thing. God heals, brethren. He heals. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, 15, getting back to that. Now is the confidence that we have in Him that, it, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Boldness, confidence. 
And in verse 15 it says, If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have, to, that we have asked of Him. He knows if we're in the right frame of mind. He knows if we have the right attitude. It's just up to us, brethren, to make sure that we know it. We know it. That we're not just going through the motions. Not just going through the motions. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Dale, what, what's my time limit? Four hours? Okay. Better bring some water. Not for me, everybody out here. You know how long-winded I am. <laughs> Matthew 26, verse 39, He said, He went a little farther and fell on His face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Christ didn't want to have to go through what He was going to go through. He prayed to the Father too. He didn't want to go through it. He knew the suffering He was going to go through. He knew the pain He was going to suffer. Do we feel that way? Not my will, but Your will be done. That's what we should have, brethren. We should always think of God's will, not our will. Yes, we can ask for things. We can ask for blessings. We can ask for healings. We can ask for peace, joy, love. We can ask for those things. But we have to have the right heart, the right frame of mind to get them. We have to ask for God's will. God's will to work in our lives. Because if we don't, it's not going to work. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Acts chapter 6. After Acts 26, verse 18. This is a long chapter, so we're only going to read one verse of it. It says in verse 18, To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, if we back up and read verse 17, it says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles whom I have sent you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. You know, the Apostle Paul was in darkness for a while. He was in darkness. A lot of darkness. He persecuted the Christians. Persecuted them. Murdered them. Had them murdered. We don't even know all the ways that he had done. Christ had to slap him down, knock him down to get his attention to find out that this is the way you walk in it. Is that what he has to do to us? He has to slap us down to show us the way we should be going, the way we should walk? I know he has to me because I'm hard-headed. I don't always do the thing that I want to do. We're all that way, I'm sure, to a certain degree. Prayer will help with that. Prayer will help us draw closer to God so He can work with us better. 
so we can see through our heart and see through it lightly. You'll see if we've got a dark heart or if we've got a light heart. A heart that's full of light, not full of darkness. But He has to hear from us in order to be able to do that. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. If He's called you out of this world and you've accepted Him as, our, as your Savior, as your soon coming King, the King is going to lead the saints to this earth and His kingdom be set up, set up on this earth. Then He's led you out of darkness if you believe that. He's led you out of darkness into lightness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now who is God the Father, Son of His love? Son of His love, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what went through God's heart and mind? If God has a heart and mind? When He decided to allow His Son to empty Himself and come to this earth and to go through the suffering that He went through on our behalf? When Christ said, not my will, but your will be done. Can you imagine the suffering that God went through because of that? I can't even imagine what He had to, had to endure because He knew that He could lose His Son. That His Son would not have been able to have done what He did here. That His Son would not have been able to survive the pain and the suffering that He went through. And that He would allow Satan to take Him over. He knew these things could happen. But brethren, it didn't happen. It didn't. And because of that, He's at the right hand of the Father. He is our elder brother. He is our Savior. And because it didn't happen, you have a chance at salvation. You have a chance to be like the Father. Be with Him. It's kind of like Ian was saying the other day. He said, I can't wait till I can just jump up in the air and stay in the air. Just stay in the air and float around without having to worry about falling. Or I can walk on water if I want to walk on it. I was over in Israel a few years ago. I've been, I've been baptized for a long time. But you know, I thought, what a wonderful blessing it would be just one time in my life to get baptized in the Jordan River. And there was about six of us. We decided to do it. And we all baptized each other. But not a one of us walked off of that river. We had to crawl out through it. You know, we weren't, we're not spirit beings because we got baptized in the Jordan River. But it was something I'll never forget. But one day, I hope to be able to walk across that river on top of it. Or walk down it. Or I want to be able to someday pray to God and say, Yes, I'm going bass fishing. I want you to tell all the bass in this water where I'm at to jump in my boat. I want them to be in the boat with me, you know. And then I can call them out instead of them calling me out. So, But these are things that the future holds for us if we remain faithful, if we hold fast 
hold fast to His Word and do the things that we need to do in serving Him. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, not too far over here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. It said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do we not believe that even though we pray, that we get on our knees and pray and ask God, thank God, Lord, that I'm not like those other men? You ever heard a per person pray like that? I never have either, but the Word says it happens. By the poor old publican over there, and he said, God, just please forgive me, I'm a sinner. That should fit most of us. Not the person who puffs himself up, but the person who's humble when they get on their knees. That's what we should be. We should be very humble. I could ask for a show of hands right now like I did the other day. How many people came to this feast saying, I'm humble? Not one hand go up, except mine. And mine's coming down because it wouldn't fit me either. Humble. That's what we should be. We should be humble before the Lord. How do you get humble? You get humble from praying, asking God to work with you and give you a soft heart, a heart to serve others. Not to serve yourself, but to serve others. To give you your life to help other people. That's our whole, our whole fitting life that we should do. Because it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We should be wanting to love the Father, not love the things of this world. I mean, look out around us right here. Branson's a beautiful area. But look at all the things around here that you can do, that you can go and do, and be a part of. But so many of the times, things that we need to be a part of, we don't show up. It's just the way it is. Things that we need to be a part of, we don't do. Things that we go to entertain ourselves, we'll go do that. That's just that's the way man is. The way man is. Take care of the flesh first. We should be thinking, taking care of the spirit first. Verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Pray that you're not a part of the world. Pray that the world will never, ever be a part of you. That you'll always make sure that God comes first when you pray. That you give. The old saying goes, give your heart to the Lord. There's a lot of truth in that. You hear a lot of these Protestant preachers, oh, come give your heart to the Lord. What they're saying is, come give your money to the preacher. You know, they always got a basket going around every Sunday. But they don't care if you give your heart to the Lord. All they want is support. Our heart should go to the Lord, should go to God through Jesus. He should know our heart. He should be willing to say, yes, this person, this person is a part of me. He's a part of my family. In 1 John, Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. These are scriptures we ought to know, memorize, learn, not to be a part of this world. 
Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Christ praying, examples of the way He prayed. And we can use in our own lives how we pray. And mention 15 times in the New Testament of where He Himself actually prayed. You know, the Lord loved to be in a solitary place. He didn't want to be out. You know, you see people that uh, out in the world, they love to stand on the street corner and shout and holler and pray and so that people can see them. That's not really what it's about. When you pray, you ought to, unless you're opening prayer in a service or something like that or closing prayer. When you pray, you shouldn't try to make it a... a uh, party or make it into a show or this kind of thing, you ought to pray in private if you can. Pray in private. Pray where no one can hear you except the Father and your, and your older brother Jesus. That way you don't have to pretend for anybody. You can get on your knees and be sincere and open your heart up and say what you really want to say. When you've got a big audience, you're trying to entertain them. When you want to pray in public, are you actually trying to pray to God or are you trying to make yourself known to everybody around you? I say the best way to pray is pray in private if you possibly can. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now this is talking about Jesus going out and praying. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Christ was an early riser. He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there He prayed. He went out alone. He went out by Himself. So it was just Him and the Father. Him and the Father. See, Jesus didn't have an intercessor between Him and God. He prayed right to the Father. We have an intercessor. Christ is our intercessor because of the Holy Spirit that we've been given. We have a chance to go to the Father through Jesus. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus had to go directly to the Father. And He prayed in solitary confinement. He went out alone and did it. Mountain to pray. He went up there to pray. He loved to pray on the mountains. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We'll read in verse 12. It talks about the twelve apostles here. It said, Now it came to pass in those days that He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. In prayer to God. Jesus Christ prayed all night long to God. All night. I dare say that if I can get 20 minutes on my knees, I really accomplished something. My knees are so bad nowadays, I can't hardly even get on them to begin with. But can you imagine being on your knees all night long praying? And it said, and when it come to, and when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also called apostles, named apostles. Named them. So he had to pray about that. He wanted his apostles. So he prayed all night long and he picked the right ones. He would pick the right people. There's things that I probably should pray all night for. 
my standing with Him. And I dare say I don't do it like I should, but I should anyway. He prayed all night to make sure that He picked the right people. Right people. Other incidents where He prayed, where He gave His, emptied Himself and went to God. Over Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We begin reading in verse 38. Now I can imagine, brethren, what he must have been going through because he knew his death was imminent. He knew the suffering that he went through was imminent. He knew what he was going to have to go through on our behalf. And he probably thought, why, Lord? Why do I have to do this? But he did it anyway for our sake. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch over me. Watch with me. He went a little farther in verse 39 and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Have you ever had a thought like that about something you knew you were going to have to go through? I've had that situation before when I had to go talk to the IRS. I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but it's not a fun thing to have to do. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The will of the Father was that He go through it. It doesn't say that He just wanted to do it. It just says, let this cup pass from me. Let this pass, let this pass on. Let's do something else. But he didn't do it. He said, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And that's what happened, brethren. And we should always be thankful for that. Because if it hadn't happened, where do you think you'd be now? Where do you think you'd be now with absolutely no hope of any kind? Just live out your life, die, and that'd be it. But because we have a Savior, we know it's a lot more than that. The future is really bright for us. All we've got to do, brethren, is do our part and hang on. Stay close to Him. Let Him live His life in us. But He can't live His life in you if He don't talk to Him. He doesn't want to spend His life in someone that never communicates with Him. How do you communicate with God? How do you communicate with Christ? You pray. Oh, we can pick up this Bible. We can pick this up and read this Bible. Excuse me, microphone. You, you can look at this Bible every day. But unless you pray, it's not going to soak in. It's not going to soak in. You have to pray, brethren. You have to put that as a main focus of your life. Make sure that uh, that always comes first. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. It says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I can't imagine praying that hard. I can't imagine. When I was in the hospital this year, I had a severe pain in my right side. It was hurting so bad that it already spread to my left side. They didn't know what it was. They said it could be one of four things. 
He said you could have a ruptured appendix. You can have diverticulosis, di diverticulitis, or worst of all, you could have beginning stages of colon cancer. I went in on a Thursday and they started putting IVs into me. IVs, I had them in my arms, on both arms. By Sunday, by Monday, I'm sorry, by Monday, I couldn't get my breath. I was just barely able to breathe. My blood pressure was up to 185 over 110. And they came in on, on Monday and said, well, we can't find anything really wrong with you. We're going to send you home. Well, they sent me home. Been a lot of praying going up that week, that day, because they didn't know what was wrong with me. I went home. I couldn't hardly walk. From Thursday night till Monday night, I, weigh, I weighed 214 when I went in. When I got out of the hospital on Monday, I weighed 242 pounds. All fluid. They had almost drowned me in my own fluids. Well, I called my doctor and I said, what's going on with this? And she said, get back to the hospital right now. They pumped five urinals full of fluids off of me. That's the time when I should have been praying my heart out that God didn't let me die because they almost killed me. They almost drowned me in my own fluids. But was I praying? I wasn't praying. I was thinking, if I can just get my weight back down, get this fluid off of me, I can go home. It didn't dawn on me at the time that I should have been praying that God heal me right then. But see, I, was, I had my own selfish intent in, at play. I had my own selfish intent. And probably if I'd have been praying like I should have about the situation, it never would have happened. But God let me go through it to wake me up, to show me, this is the way, walk you in it. This is the way, walk you in it. In verse chapter 23, verse 34. 23, verse 34. It said, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what to do, what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. This, brethren, was when he was hanging on the stake, and his time was almost up. And yet, he was still praying to the Father. He was still asking the Father to intervene for his enemies. He was still asking the Father to please forgive them for what they were about to do. They had already done enough, but they were letting him die. And he was asking God to forgive them. How hard that must have been. It would have been hard for me. And I'm sure it have been hard for you too. But this is what we should be like, brethren. We should be like Christ in all that we do. And it says in verse 46, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. He knew it was over. Having said this, He breathed His last. He breathed his last as a physical being. 
We know the story after that, three days and three nights. Hallelujah, praise God, He's our Savior. And if He hadn't gone through that, brethren, you wouldn't be here now. You wouldn't be here. So we should be thankful, thankful, thankful that Jesus did what He did for us. And we can be thankful by praying and thanking Him for the calling He gave us. The very calling that He gave us, brethren, is something that we should hold on to for the rest of our days until the time comes when we give up the ghost. I look in the mirror and I think, I, I don't have very long. I'm 74 years old and I've done, my face has already outlived my body. So, you know, I look in the mirror and I think, good Lord, what happened? And I looked in the mirror and said that right after I was about 20 years old too. So it didn't, hadn't changed much. There's another chapter you can go and read. Read on your own. It's over in John chapter 17. The whole chapter is about his trip to Gethsemane and what he went through there. And I'd say for your own private reading, we won't go into it now, but I'd say on your private reading to definitely read that chapter. We always read it at Passover. We always read it. But it shows that if Christ, if praying was good enough for Christ, why is it not good enough for us? If Christ prayed to the Father, and Him coming from the Father, He emptied Himself, came to this earth to be our elder brother. If He did this for us, why is, is it so hard for us to do the same thing He did? And as I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon, I think praying is probably the hardest thing a Christian has to do because we can come up with a G and other things. G and other things to do, brethren. A G and other things to do. And there's so many, so many reasons to pray. So many reasons. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, let's first, let's back up and read Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to skip over a lot of scriptures because it's already a quarter after 12, and I think I started about 11.30. Is that right? So, anyway, I, don't, I told Dale I wouldn't go over 45 minutes. I don't know how long I've been going. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Verse 12, it says, brethren, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, forgive those who trespass against you. Forgive those who sin against you. And if you go through life as long as I have, you'll always find someone that's trespassed against you or sinned against you. And if you look at yourself honestly, you'll be able to say, yes, I've sinned against that person. I've trespassed against that person. I'm just as guilty as that person was toward me. Things that we need to pray about. Pray that God forgives you of your sins and forgives you of your debtors. And your debtors are people that you've sinned against. I'm not talking about the people you owe money to. I'm talking about people that you've personally sinned against or people that's personally sinned against you. Maybe in their tongue. We have a problem in the church, real bad problem. It's everywhere. It's not just 
in small groups, it's everywhere, is we have a problem with, with our tongue. We say things we shouldn't say. And it's a problem that we should pray about. I've done it many times over. I made statements I shouldn't have said, and I wished I hadn't have said them after I said it. But it's just life. That's what we do. Doesn't make it right, but that's what we do. We're human beings. It seems like we can't help it. We can't help it. I mean, how many times have I made comments about Nancy Pelosi I shouldn't have said, you know? Excuse me, the witch from hell. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I shouldn't have said those things about her because she is, you know, she, she did. She was. I think she was born in this born in this world. I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, I mean, God. She doesn't know the truth, but God loves her. He loves all humanity. He probably he even has. He's probably even thought, "What am I going to do with Hitler when he comes up? I got to deal with that guy." No, he's going to say, "No, I'm not going to deal with him. I want to turn him over to Ian. Let Ian deal with him." So. But uh, all humanity, clear back to the time of Adam, God loves. But we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I remember, I remember a minister, I won't mention his name at all, but he was so proud of himself, he was so filled with his own self-importance. He said one time, he said he guessed he hadn't sinned. He was probably 75 years old. He said he guessed he hadn't sinned since he was 15 years old. I thought, you just did. <laughs> you just did, you know. A man that would say that, he sinned because he lied. You're driving down the road. I dare say I can go to Russellville, Arkansas, and I'll sin before I get out of my car <laughs> because of some comment I made about somebody nearly run over me, you know. Don't make it right. But we do. That's why we have to pray. We have to pray for forgiveness. Pray that God intervenes in our life. What better place is there to pray than right here at the Feast of Tabernacles? You have no pressure on you. The only pressure you have here is coming to services or what show you're going to go see or what restaurant you're going to eat at or who's going to buy my lunch for day. You know, my wife's saying right now, where are we going to eat? So I wish you'd shut up and sit down. <laughs> she hasn't started wearing, wagging a flag yet, but I expect it to go up any minute. But anyway, for whom shall we pray? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. That's another chapter I always have trouble finding. First Timothy chapter one, verse two, I think. No, first Timothy chapter two. It's here somewhere. You know, when I was nine years old, my dad made me memorize the Bibles in order of all the books. I could quote them, I could tell you where they were and everything. Now I say, are they in the first testament old testament or the new testament? Which are they here? So First Timothy chapter two, verse one. It says, Therefore I, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, 
and giving of thanks be made for all men. It says pray for all men. Pray for your enemies. If you have an enemy, if someone just eats you up, just maybe someone you go to church with that you just have a problem with, pray for that person. Pray that you have an attitude that's good toward that person. You can't change that person. What you can do is change your attitude. Change your attitude toward them. Ask God to help you love that person. They may not love you back, but at least you love them. Pray for love. Pray for love that you'll be able to love your neighbors. I've had some neighbors in my life that I, it was kind of hard to do. Kind of hard to do. But we've all had that. We have all had neighbors, people that rubbed us the wrong way, stepped on our toes, did things to us. We can get mad, we can hate them, but what good does that do? I can tell you, if you pray for your enemies, ask God to intervene in their life, ask God to bless them, show them how important their life is to God. Not how important your life is to God, but how important their life is to God. Sometimes things change. That person may become your best friend. Who knows? But you have to be willing to do it. And praying for your enemy is not easy. Praying for your enemies is not easy. But it's something we have to do. It says, For all men, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reference. I'm not going to show, ask for a show of hands, but how many people in here pray for Donald Trump? Okay, a few hands went up. How many people in here pray for Nancy Pelosi? Not one? Oh, there is one, yeah. You must be a Democrat. No, sorry. No, I mean, I'm serious. We should pray for our enemies. Nancy Pelosi is an enemy of the people enemy of any any decent people who want decent things in life she's against open borders homosexuality she loves that things that are sinful to God she loves those things but we should still should pray for her that maybe one day her eyes will be open pray for our enemies I mean she doesn't even know us I mean we're nothing to her but she's an enemy of the people and we should pray for her. It says, lead a quiet and peaceful life. We should pray for that. Pray for a peaceful life. Joy, peace, and love. Three things that's very much a part of the Spirit of God. For our enemies, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Reading over in 44, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. And there's always going to be someone who curses you. Maybe an employee. Because you ask him to do something that 
maybe he didn't want to do. You may have had those thoughts to, toward an employer who asked you to do something you didn't want to do. You know, we're all human. We all come up short of the glory of God. It says, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for your enemies, brethren, because enemies are out there. And if you're a Sabbatarian, if you truly believe in God, if you believe that Christ is our elder brother, if you believe in the Holy Spirit, you believe that you have God's Holy Spirit, you have enemies. You have enemies. I have a son-in-law that's a free will Baptist preacher. I get along with him just fine, but he's an enemy because our faiths do not mesh at all. And you start talking anything around him, the old saying goes, all hell breaks loose. Because he, he is not going to hear anything about the truth. Nothing. Nothing at all. Who else should we pray for that would help us in our walk with Christ? Help us be able... If you just pray for this, you'll be on your knees longer than 20 minutes. You'll just pray for this. Pray for sinners. We'd be praying for everybody in here every day. Every day we'd be praying for each other if you pray for sinners. And that's not counting the ones we know outside of our building here. They're everywhere, sinners. We should be praying for them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust... Am I reading the right scripture? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse, no, I'm in... Yeah, I am. Okay. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. So you back up and read verse 10. It says... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What better thing to do in your body than to pray for your enemies? Pray for, your, pray for sinners. People that you know that are sinning. People you know that don't see it themselves. Don't see it themselves. People that's living, living lives that they shouldn't be living. People that are living lives that's only going to lead to destruction. And they don't see it. They don't see it. I have a person that I know real well. He's 26 years old. He lives with his mother. His mother is taking care of him because He's too lazy to work. He'll get out and do a little day work here and there, but he won't go find a job at all because Mama's taking care of him. So what does he do? He goes out and gets him a girlfriend, brings her home with him, and now they've got a baby two years old. 
And now she's taking care of him, her, and the baby. I've talked to him about it many times over. I said, you know, boy, you need to find God in your life. Oh, I know God. I know what all God is. I said, well, you're not living it. You're not living it. I said, well, look what you're doing to your mother. Your mother is 64 years old or thereabouts, getting ready to retire. She's not going to have much of a retirement. What are you going to do then when the only money you have coming in is your mother's retirement? I told him. I got kind of plain with him. I said, get off your blankety-blank and get a job. I said, you're able to work. Well, I'm going to find a job. I said, yeah, you've been saying that now for six years. I said, only jobs you find, a little day work here and there. Come over and take care of some of my properties for me. You know, the man is sinning and he don't even realize it. But maybe one day he'll wake up. I hope he does. I hope he finally wakes up someday. Acts chapter 7, verse 60. It says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen the martyr. Stephen the martyr who died in the faith. Died in the faith. Gave his heart. Gave his life to God. Gave his life to Christ. Following Christ. Doing what Christ wanted him to do on this earth. What's the most important thing we should pray for? Our standing with Christ is number one. And we're doing what He wants us to do. We should be praying for the brethren. The brethren. The people you know the best. The people you're around every Sabbath. A lot of times around during the week. Maybe you see them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Okay, I'm just about winding up here. I bet you all are saying, oh, thank God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith. Not all have the faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Who is the evil one, brethren? Satan the devil. Satan the devil is our biggest enemy we have to deal with. Because he wants to destroy each one of you. Every time he sees you, he sees someone that's going to be over him in the kingdom of God. He hates that. He hates everything about you, everything about me. And if he can get anything on us, if he can cause us, as they used to they say in the old Protestant churches, backslide, go backward a little bit, maybe slip and fall a little bit, so he can run to Christ and say, looky there, you call him a son, you call him a, or her a daughter, look at what she just done. He's the great accuser. He accuses us all. It's up to us, brethren, to make sure there's nothing to accuse of. And believe me, if you're on your knees praying every day, every day, 
in the morning. I have many mornings I get up and I think, oh, I got to go down to McDonald's and catch up on the world's worldly gossip in the community. I'll go out the door and I won't even think about praying. And then I'll get down there and I'm sitting there drinking coffee with my buddies and I say, oh man, look what I forgot. Too late then. Prayer ought to be the most important thing we do in our lives. Pray for your brethren. Your brethren is not only your brother and sister. In a lot of cases, they are your best friends. In a lot of cases, the only friends you have, true friends. Oh, I've heard people say, oh, my kinfolks, my kinfolks are my friends. Yeah, get crossways with them and find out how friends you are. Brethren are not that way. Brethren accept you not always just the way you want them to, but they will finally accept you when you go ask for forgiveness or go ask, let's bury the hatchet or whatever it may be. A lot of times they'll just grab you and hug you and say, I've been waiting for that for a long time. Your brethren, brethren, people called out of this world just like you. They are your true brother and sisters. If you look at someone and you say, ooh, that person just sort of irritates me. Are you going to say that a million years from now? That person still irritates you if you're in, a, in the kingdom of God? And you're having to work with that person every day? You gonna do that? You better learn to love them now. You better learn to pray for them now. So remember that, brethren. Pray for your brothers. Pray for your sisters first. Show love toward them. And in conclusion, brethren, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The last scripture I'm going to read. I've read enough already, but hopefully you got something out of this today. Except my long-windedness. <clears throat> Verse 42, chapter 2, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Are we doing that? Are we continuing steadfast in what we've learned? steadfast in what we've learned. That's what we should be doing. We should be steadfast in all the learning and teaching that we've learned. Doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and most of all, brethren, in prayers. Be steadfast in it. Be steadfast and ask God to heal our heart if we have a heart that needs to be healed. To put love in our heart if we need love into it. Above all, ask God to heal your heart. If you have any animosity toward another brother, ask God to heal your heart. <coughs> Be steadfast. Pray without ceasing. Never give up. Never quit praying. Begin each day, every day, with prayer. When you get out of bed, go wash your face, go get on your knees, and just thank God that you got through the night. Just thank God that He allowed you to survive and live another day.
a day that maybe you'll do good to somebody, do good for someone. We should go into every day with prayer asking that you'll be able to do good for someone that day. That someone will get some, excuse me, get something good out of what we've done that day. If you ask God to intervene with you and pray and help you do that, it will work, brethren. And begin and end each day with prayer. Don't rob yourself of blessings because you don't pray. You won't rob yourself of blessings if you do pray. They may not always be the things that you want. I still haven't gotten that Weatherby 264. I keep praying that I'll get one. I'm hoping someone I know will leave me one, but I can't get him to do it, so... He's older than I am, maybe. I want to talk to him a little harder in his will about getting in his will. Maybe he'll give it to me, but he hadn't yet. So don't rob yourself of blessings through prayer. Pray. Pray, God, to intervene for you. Ask Jesus, our elder brother, to go to God in your favor. Especially, brethren, if you're praying for another person. Don't always just pray for yourself because that's selfish. Pray for others. Ask God to intervene for other people. Ask God to bless other people. Ask God to show them everything they need to grow and be a better Christian. Is that not what we should be? Amen? Amen, Amen brother. Amen. So remember this when you go home tonight or go home after the feast is over, don't forget to give your heart to God and pray.